Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. When a young couple, uh, Tom and Lucy, lose their way while driving to a music festival in a remote Irish countryside, they find themselves trapped in a maze of back roads with only uh, their vehicle for protection and terrorized by an unseen tormentor, hell-bent on exploiting their worst nightmares, driving lost and tormented in the night primal anxieties of dark of the dark and unknown take hold as the couple realizes they have let evil in. In fact, it's already there. We're joined today by the director of In Fear, writer-director of the film In Fear, Jeremy Lovering. Jeremy, welcome to Film School. Mike, thanks very much. Hi there. Hi, and thank you so much for being here. Thoroughly enjoyed the film. It is, uh, it is all that they, it's, as advertised, it's a chilling film. Uh, one of the things that makes it so is that it's relatable. I think all of us have at some point or another been lost somewhere and began to get anxious. Tell me and our audience a little bit about how the, uh, the, the, the genesis, the origin of this story, and your decision to move forward uh, with a feature film. Um, I think I, uh, basically the inspiration of several things. Um, I, a long time ago, there was a very benign version of the events that take hold in film, um, you know, which happened to me, which I was visiting a family in Ireland. Um, and you know, in that area where I was going to, there was a sort of 400 years of violence, and I was going to look at a story there with this family who'd been involved in violence about 400 years ago, and it had trickled down over the centuries, and what had happened is that it distilled slowly and slowly into just a practical joke, which was the um, locals who, you know, there's a pub on the outskirts of the estate that the family had, and you left the pub and you went into the estate and they turned all the signs around. So 20 minutes later, you kept coming back to the pub. And obviously their intention was that you went in and bought, a, you know, some beer. Um, but I think what was interesting is as I was driving around and I was thinking about the violence that was, you know, in this land. And it was getting dark and I was getting lost. And it was that mixture of frustration and um you know, just awareness of violence in the land, like I say, and slowly the primal fears took over. So it's kind of, that was the first, you know, that that happened to me in a, many, you know, a long time ago, but it kind of stayed with me. And then I was just looking at, um, I was just reading about stuff and thinking about stuff um, connected with how fear is a state of mind. Rather than being scared of spiders or, you know, heights, it's just looking at fear as um, the root cause and consequence of you know, all our actions so that, um, you know, we do all the sort of petty arguments through to acts of extreme aggression or war are caused by the fact that human beings live in a state of fear. And um, I was looking at that and I kind of put the two together and, you know, I was interested in putting the couple, the actors in that state of fear to be the the best way of reflecting the themes that I wanted to address. 
Yeah, and one of the great things about this and the, the character development in this is the couple, uh, Tom and Lucy, have not known each other for very long. They just met uh, recently. They uh, decided to go to this music festival. So part of the, the story, part of this film and what the joy of watching this film is them getting to know one another and, and just starting to really begin to understand or at least have some uh, understanding of each other. And then slowly... But surely they're introduced into this very dark and foreboding and dangerous situation. Yeah, I was interested in you know looking at a, a relationship compressed into one night, mm-hmm. and um, you know under sort of major external pressures and you know extreme pressures, if you like, and you know to see how that you know took shape. So that all the usual things, all the progression of in a relationship, you know, you've got the flirtation, the acceptance, the laughing at each other's jokes and everything like that at the beginning. And those things, you know, if if you don't know each other very well, if it's a new relationship, and like you say, this is only two weeks old, those things quickly become eroded because you realize that underneath them, what is, what is there? There isn't a great well of trust. And all that's left is your common humanity. You're a human being, they're a human being, yeah. and that's it. So... Slowly, those loyalties are tested. A sense of suspicion comes in, uh, mistrust comes in, and then you've got to make a decision about self-sacrifice or betrayal or loyalty, um, and so on. Then it progresses from that. So, you know, I, I want to look at how we could test um, a relationship, which you know, if it was parents with kids, the sacrifices are you know probably the easiest to make if if it's just a bunch of friends then you know you don't make sacrifices ultimately um in the same way and obviously unless you you know and then if you're soldiers obviously you're trained to make sacrifices so you know i think you know what i was interested in was a very fragile new relationship that somehow if they did the right thing it was kind of an act of great human compassion yeah, and absolutely. It, it, it's what's so fascinating about this is the, the compression, first of all, uh, of the of the storyline. I thought was uh, really gives this uh, a lot of dramatic value um, in in their in the way that they interact w- with one another. And yeah, this unfamiliarity, this sort of anxiety and unfamiliarity that is introduced into the story. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, how you were. There's a. I read a little bit in the in the backstory about this. How you were able to get these performances out of uh, Alice Englert and uh, Englert, and also out of Ian DeCaster. Oh, I said that all wrong. De, Ian DeCaster. Ian DeCaster. DeCaster. Yeah. Um, I, they, I mean, they didn't know each other. That which which really helped. So right. they met each other in the auditions, and then. Um, I, that was, I only had two weeks of rehearsals with them because the idea was they only knew each other for two weeks. And during that time, I didn't allow them to ever sort of sit down and discuss their characters or anything like that. So, um, you know, the, any, any backstory they gave themselves as characters, you know, I've got a sister, she lives in Japan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't know that about each other unless they'd brought it up in the rehearsal that we were doing. And during those rehearsals, we, you know, did scenarios that weren't in the film, but they in some way reflected um, scenes that I wanted to be in the film. 
And most importantly is that I didn't give them the story. I mean, they had no idea what was going to happen from beginning to end. They didn't know, you know, if their characters were going to live or die or even if they were going to be there, you know, half an hour later. So they didn't have a script, obviously. Um, we shot it in order. We shot it chronologically. And so as their relationship developed, so the story developed and was played out. I mean, I I had a script which I had for myself, and that was based on the scenes that I'd seen them play, and then I wrote the dialogue that I was hoping they'd give. And then whilst we were shooting, I'd jump in there and I'd give them direction. I'd say, you know, what, would your character be angry now? Or maybe it should be a bit, your character would be a bit more defensive. So I kind of played it very broad, and then within that, they improvised the actual dialogue. Occasionally there were words that I really wanted in there or sentences, and I would suggest them to them. And if they felt... Uh, or they, and then they would give a version of it from their character. But what it meant was that they were always on their toes and they never knew what was coming. And it meant that they were always scared because we, you know, we put them into the dark, we put them into this forest, it was night. And it wasn't like Blair Witch. I didn't abandon them, but I gave them a sense of isolation. And actually by me being present um, and then realizing they couldn't trust what I was saying, because obviously I was giving them false information as well, mm -hmm. it meant that actually it, everything around them became very um, uncomfortable and then it slowly progressed because they were attacked by strangers or whatever um, or by each other. Um, you know, things progressed into genuine fear yeah. of what was going on. We're speaking uh, with Jeremy Lovering, the director of the new film uh, In Fear, comes out today. Speaking to you today, March 7th, uh, 2014, will be opening here in Los Angeles. And um, I thought the acting was just uniformly terrific. I really enjoyed uh, all the performances. Uh, there is an X Factor. I don't know how much of a spoiler alert we're going to get into uh, here, but there are other uh, – there's other – uh, forces at work in this film uh, that definitely ratchet up the the level of fear and anxiety. And uh, uh, would you? How would you? Do you characterize this in, in, as far as a genre? How would you characterize your film? Um, I I mean, it's a psychological horror. There I you think. go. There um, yeah. It's you know, it, it's deliberately. I wouldn't call it a psychological thriller because the plot is very simple. So. It doesn't, you know, deliberately, it's, I kept the plot to an absolute minimum, so it doesn't really come from the, the sort of thriller family. Um, and the horror is, it's not gory, particularly. I mean, there's a couple of yeah. moments which, yeah. you know, are screamish, perhaps. Um, but there's, there's no sort of extreme blood or anything. Um, so I'd say, yeah, psycho, psychological horror. I mean, you know, it's got, there's a long tradition of those films, which I've always loved. Um, and there's something quite uh, retro about this in a way and that it is you know i think you know i wanted to make a suspense film where yeah. it's that rather than the kind of here's a horrible event here's a downtime where they chat here's a horrible event here's the downtime i wanted to slowly build up the pressure and the tension and then once it's unleashed to keep it going um in a kind of avalanche so it doesn't really ever let up well in the and fact think, oh, i'm sorry no pardon me sorry mike sorry go on uh, the, the fact that it, it's almost the entire film is filmed inside the car mm. uh, in that sense of claustrophobia the things in the world around them is kind of collapsing around them and they the, and the the lack of any resources available to them and that that's really fuels so much for me it's fueled so much of this anxiety and, and uh, that they were feeling that I could feel uh, and watching it um, 
it, I'm just going to get a little bit technical here. This is film school, after all. Uh, how sure. many how many shooting days did you do, did you work on this? Uh, we had we had two two eleven day fortnights. Okay, um, that's how it works. I don't know if it's the same in America, but in that's the UK. So we had twenty two days. That seems to be almost all of the independent filmmakers that I talk to, somewhere between 20 and 25 days seems to be about the norm. So that's right in there. Uh, and and uh, and obviously uh, you shot with using what? What did you use? Because it's almost all at, at night. Uh, the By the way, the cinematography is terrific. It is absolutely fantastic in the film and really lends so much. It's another character. The camera is really another character in this film. Tell, tell me a little bit what you shot on and talk about your cinematography. Sure. I mean, well, David Katznelson is the um, cinematographer. He, he's the operator and the lighter. And, I mean, he, he's exceptionally brilliant. And I think what he, one of his many skills is that he's able to kind of make himself invisible. He just has that relationship with the performers. So um, that was terribly important in getting the intimacy. You know, he's in the car with them. Sometimes it's me and him. I'm obviously buried in the footwell, but he's sitting in between them. So... He had, you know, it was a really sort of skilled um, gift of making himself not be there, really. And he's just very quiet. He's very Danish. And (laughs) so he's very even-tempered and relaxed. And he kind of disappears into the dark. Um, And his lighting is brilliant. I think we used used the Alexa and um, the, the Canon 5D. And we had two Canons, which we... Were we rigged up into the kind of gap between the windscreen and the dashboard, mm. and sometimes we set them off on their own. Sometimes we put them in cages. The the cameras, obviously, not the actors, um, mm. and we just kind of let them run. Other times, David was you know in their face with the cannons. But what we tried to do is, and and then the Alexa, you know, we had that in the back seat, looking out um, in the white, the sort of two shot from the back seat, looking forward. That would be the Alexa. So. We the only frustration I didn't I had was the there's a new Alexa M which I um, is a small one which I could have they'd only had the prototype in operation I think um, mm. you know Prometheus had it out and there's no way I could get hold of it um, now, and I think you know what we did is we set ourselves certain rules so we used the Alexa that had more latitude at night so yeah. you know when it got late dusk we shot with the Alexa but early dusk we shot with the Canon interior, but only the Alexa exterior. Daytime, if it was inside the car, we used the Canon. If it was outside the car, we used the Alexa for the big wide shots, and so on and so on. Because okay. I think, okay. you know, what we found is that by set, giving ourselves that discipline of using a, a certain camera in a certain situation meant that um, we could, you know, match it afterwards. And also meant we could use different lenses to slowly close down the frame size. So we actually keep our same distance from the character, but the frame size gets smaller and smaller throughout the film. So you slowly become, you know, you become claustrophobic as they do. Yeah, it, 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 it very good, excellent. Thank you for pointing that out because I did feel that. <laughs> I, oh, it worked okay. on me because it just felt more and more like the circle because they're essentially they're driving around in a circle, and the circle just keeps getting smaller and smaller in some ways. It just that's what that's the sense I had. Uh, their world was just collapsing and around them with virtually. This again, the the beauty of these sort of psychological thrillers, horror horror thrillers, whatever it is you want to call it, mm. is that uh, you are imagining 
trying to imagine how you would react. There's a couple of things when uh, when Tom gets out of the car. You, you don't want him to get out of that car. It's just, just don't yeah. do that. But when he does, it again, the sense that the, the foreboding, and it's just a terrific, there's a lot of... Um, of uh, buildup and 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 that that tension uh, that uh, it's just terrific in the film. I I really um, what now what is it? Is there something in the water? You now obviously in in Great Britain, uh, you and Ben Wheatley seem to have a very dark sense of uh, a sense of cinema. There's a few filmmakers coming out of uh, Britain now that uh, are sharing uh, what I I think Wheatley's work is in some ways similar. Kill List felt a little bit like this for me. Is that yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. I mean, well, I mean, you know, to me, this is a romantic comedy. It's just that I'm a bit dark. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a rainy world. We've got a pagan past. It's like we can't escape our own demons. Very good. You know, it's like, you know, Wicker Man, uh, yes. Saw Dogs, all those films. We, we, You know, it's just... We can't escape it, I'm afraid. Oh, very good. Now, uh, people will know of your work as well from uh, f- from your television work. Uh, you've been uh, helming uh, a lot of the Sherlock uh, uh, season, season three, I believe, you've been doing. I, yeah, I just did the first one. There's just there are 90 minutes, and there's three of them, and I, I did the lead one, the first one. Yeah, now... Um, what what is that like that transition in the last couple of minutes here you going from television to film obviously a very different kind of film very independent uh and seem to be improvisational what is the difference between television for you and and being and doing a film like in fear um i mean i think you know i guess it's just i mean it, i don't know if this is a typical film anyway because it's you know because it was done in a very improvised way as you say um, I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the difference is obvious in the sense that you, with TV, you kind of, the script comes and they're much, you know, they're kind of, you get them slightly later, there's less deliberation, there's less development of them with everybody involved. I and mean, once you start, once the director comes on board, the scripts are pretty tied down. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Sherlock, it was crafting. I mean, I, I felt it quite, actually, I really loved it because after In Fear, which was, to be honest, it was a bit of a mind screw every day. You know, Sherlock, it was about going back to craft and I could relax a bit more because, um, you know, the characters were there, the script was there, the, you know, and and, and I think it was, I, I felt quite good doing that. I think it's, um, the transitions, you know, it's just a project. I don't see them as uh, one better or worse than the other. Mm. I just see them as a different project. And, you know, TV are more constricted in time, You've got to shoot more in a day. Um, you've got less flexibility in the edit, I would say, as well. I mean, film, the most exciting for me, uh, I think the, mo- the most exciting thing about film to me and the difference is that whereas in film, you kind of, you know, you look at the script as a template, the actors do what they do on the day and you have a second version. Right. And then in the edit, you create a third version and then that will become the movie or the film. Whereas in television, you kind of have the script and then the actors say the words for the script and then in the edit you edit the script and i think that's you know it's not always like that and i think often you get amazing bits of television which adopt that organic process but i think it's it's much harder to do that in television yeah and i guess that's the, that was my where i was going with the question this kind of unleashing different sides of your uh, creativity as an artist is i would think that just given what you just said TV's very locked down. Uh, everything is pretty well laid out for you. In this situation, obviously, by your own devices, you decided, I want to 
re- really go with an improv feel, mm. the actors and, and the storyline. I only can imagine what it must have been for you in editing this because I'm sure there were a lot of different takes and different. There's different tones in that could this film could have gone into. Uh, yeah, based on that. I think that's really true. I mean, I think I'm picking up on your early point as well. I think, you know, it's like, to me, you watch a haunted house film and you're often, you just kind of go, just go and stay in a hotel. Just forget the house, <laughs> get out of there and go and stay in the hotel. Uh-huh. And I think that is often, the, you know, it's often the problem with, you know, like you said, you know, you mentioned the boy getting out of the car and you're like, don't get out of the car <laughs> or whatever. I think what I found exciting is that the actors have, you know, part created the character with me. And so the choices they were making were often moral choices rather than cinema pragmatic choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a friend of mine watched and he's like, have they not seen The Hitcher or, you know, Saw or whatever? <laughs> Do they not know, you know? And I'm like, no, they're, they're acting real people in a real situation and making real choices. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, you know, I, I defend every choice they made in this film. And there are moments you go, oh, you know, drive away from the danger, just drive away. And you go, well, actually, they can't because morally their character is at a point where they cannot do that. They cannot just drive away and forget it. And I think, you know, I'd like that about it because it makes me think they're a better person than me. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, whereas I just go, I'm getting out of here. They don't. Yeah. And I think what that meant was in the edit, we had all these choices that they had that... We had to that we had forty five hours of choice, if you like. Wow! And we had a jigsaw box um, with no picture on the cover, and uh, or you know jigsaw puzzle with no picture on the box. And I think that it was tough. And I think you're right. It was a really, you know, the editor Jonathan Amos is astonishing. And I think you know, we got a very good relationship where, you know, similar sensibility, but. You know, there were times when he definitely wanted to kill me. And it was like, you know, I, I keep going, you know, we've got to stick with the first take of their reaction to an event because then what happened is basically there was, um, you know, reaction then analysis and consequence, if you like, between them. You know, something would happen and they'd have an instant reaction and then they'd discuss it, they'd talk about it, and then they'd work out what to do next. Yeah. And... I, I was like, we've got to stick to the material we shot for that scene. We can't steal reaction shots from elsewhere. We can't steal, you know, um, breezes from elsewhere. We've got to stick with the material in the scene. And uh, we've got to stick with their first reaction, at least. The rest of it, you know, the analysis and everything is like real normal drama. But yeah. it meant that we had, you know, we set this discipline for ourselves. At times you're like, but I don't have a shot to cover this. And you're like, well... That's, we just have to live with that. And that, that is the, I don't think it's a compromise with doing it this way, but I think it's the potential frustration is you can't um, engineer something completely new. Yeah. You know, with, you've got to stick with the material you've got because it's got an authenticity to it. Right. Um, you know, for example, we went back, we tried to do a reshoot one day because uh, there was just a, a technical problem, and we, we went back, and it just didn't it just didn't match. It was just emotionally totally different. Mm. So we didn't use any of that well, reshoot. We you know we stayed with what we got. Well, I want to congratulate you again. Uh, the film is in fear. Uh, the director uh, and uh, writer is uh, Jeremy Levering, and I'm with all apologies to uh, Ian DeCastaker, uh They uh, and to uh, they're all terrific as well as. Alice Engler uh, and uh, Alan Leash. 
who are all terrific in this film. And it's uh, playing, by the way, for those who are listening to the sound of my voice within Los Angeles, it's playing at the Cafe Los Feliz. And a film that definitely deserves a wider release than it has right now. Uh, and uh, check it out. If you get it, everybody should go out and see this. It's really a well-done film and exciting from start to finish. And the characters are so engaging. They're so believable and terrific acting. I just really, uh, they, they all did a wonderful job. So thank you so much for being here on Film School, um, Jeremy. Um, I, well, thank you. I, re- I really do appreciate it, and um, I'm flattered, genuinely, so thank you very, very much. You're very welcome. Uh, in fear, Jeremy Levering, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 